This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist and I've lived and worked in Fayetteville, Arkansas for almost 30 years. But I began Self Work about six years ago now to try to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be very interested in psychological or emotional issues. Maybe you're in therapy already and would love another opinion. Perhaps those of you who've just been diagnosed with something and you're looking for answers, or maybe you're having a problem in your life that some of my episodes might address. But I also am reaching out to a third group of you, to those of you who think therapy is kind of a strange thing to do. In fact, if not strange, just downright weak. And I want to tell you stories about people I've seen. I want to explain to you what therapy really is so that you can make a more informed decision. I'm not trying to change your mind exactly, but I think by listening to someone who hopefully you will think is rational and make some good points, you might reconsider going to therapy yourself. Now, self-work is not therapy, but by listening to the subject matter, I think you'll get a better taste of what being in therapy with some new trust might be for you. So thanks to all of you for being here. I'm very, very grateful. I've often said when people ask me if I've ever experienced trauma in my own life that I created most of the trauma I've experienced, meaning that I was making bad decision after bad decision after bad decision for around a decade until I slowed down enough, until I got off my own emotional roller coaster and realized there was another way to live, one that meant not running away from the chaos I'd created or trying desperately to fix it, but to accept my mistakes and to learn from them and to move into a much more stable mindset, one where I could hopefully flourish. Last week, I talked with a young woman, did an interview with her, actually. Her name is Sadie Sutton, and her podcast is called She Persisted. I'll post that interview soon, as she described how this particular therapeutic model, the one we're going to focus on today, made a huge difference in her life when so many other efforts had failed. Back when I was struggling, my therapist used both CBT therapy or cognitive behavioral therapy and family systems therapy, both of which were very helpful to me. But today we're going to take a dive into a therapy I wish I'd known existed back then, but I didn't. It's called DBT therapy or dialectical behavior therapy. It's created to help people whose decision making was highly governed by their intense emotions and thus not so great and often chaos creating. It gives them distinct tools to practice and use to attach their minds to the choices they make and thus make far better ones. Now, What I learned when I took that dive into DBT that the tools they talk about are immense, and so there are way too many of them for one episode. So we're going to focus on one aspect of DBT, the role of distress tolerance. Distress tolerance isn't really talked about too much, really. Many therapies seem to focus on ridding you of distress, not tolerating it. But DBT is different and I think very practical and very useful. The listener voicemail today is from a woman who's confused because her husband has told her he no longer has feelings for her, especially sexual feelings, and she doesn't know what to do. I'll do my best to offer some ideas. 
So this episode is once again sponsored by BetterHelp, which is consistently rated as one of the best online therapy opportunities out there. And I checked, and there's an article on BetterHelp about finding a DBT therapist that is a really tremendous article, and I'll leave it in your show notes. But today, BetterHelp has an offer for all you self-work listeners. So let's sit back, relax, and we're going to learn about DBT, dialectical behavior therapy, and distress tolerance. This episode is about creating chaos and learning how to stop. I told you in the intro that years ago, my own personal version of chaos felt like I was either trying to hide a mistake or something that had happened that I didn't want anyone to know. So I tried to fix the first mistake by frantically and stubbornly making another. Looking back, perhaps it was the only way for me to get it, but it was a hard way to learn. And this is where DBT enters the picture. DBT was created in the 1980s. Let's talk about dialectical behavior therapy in general. What is it and who could benefit from it? Here's some information from Psych Central. The first word in DBT or dialectical captures the treatment's foundation. Their philosophy features these core beliefs. All things are interconnected, change is constant and inevitable, and opposites can be integrated to get closer to the truth. In other words, two seemingly opposite things can actually be true at the same time. For example, you've heard me talk about the importance of acceptance of where you are, but you also can strive to grow. It's important to recognize that maybe you're doing your best as well as you keep on trying. If I accept that something is real, it doesn't mean that then I throw up my hands and decide, well, this chaos exists, so be it. And at its root, DBT takes what's called a biosocial approach to understanding how people's symptoms arise and continue. Now, what does that mean? It basically means that both biological and social factors are at play. So people's symptoms, let's say, for example, their impulses come from their biology and their social context. Okay, enough for all the terminology. Who can benefit from DBT? A bunch of folks. People with eating disorders, substance use, and borderline, depression, and bipolar disorder. And basically, they give this list of people who can benefit that almost includes everybody. You have a hard time dealing with your emotions. Your emotions are intense or explosive. You regularly experience mood ups and downs. Your relationships feel like roller coasters. You feel empty or hopeless. You've tried other therapies that haven't worked. Your life feels out of control or isn't fulfilling, and you're using outlets to cope with stress or overwhelming emotions that could pose health risks like substances or unprotected sex. So basically, your life is chaotic. DBT is really intended to help those who are highly sensitive to their environment, are reactive to events, often become overwhelmed with emotion, and are slow to return to calm. It's a therapy program designed by Marsha Linehan. Clients learn that emotions are normal and natural. They learn new skills and learn to apply them in all contexts of their lives. Clients cannot fail in DBT. It's a very positive therapy. Now, before we go exactly into learning distress tolerance skills, I'm going to take a break here and let's hear from BetterHelp. I'm proud to say that BetterHelp has been a sponsor of SelfWork for more than two years now. They're ranked often as number one when compared with other professional therapeutic online services and do their best to match you with a therapist that you'll feel gets you, is attuned to you, and with whom you can find the kind of help and healing you need. 
You can do video sessions. You can text because BetterHelp wants to offer you the most accessible and private therapy they can. Their therapists are licensed professionals. In fact, I've received offers from BetterHelp to become one of their therapists, but self-work keeps me busy. So if you need services that are financially affordable and convenient, then trying BetterHelp may be the best choice you've ever made for yourself. And you get 10% off your first month of services if you use this link, betterhelp.com slash self-work. You know, I'm a therapist because I got good therapy, because I learned the immense value of hearing another experienced and knowledgeable perspective on my own life from someone that cared and was invested in my getting better. So try BetterHelp and get one month at a 10% discount. BetterHelp.com slash self-work. As you all know by now, I like to focus on what you can do about things in your life you want to change. That's why I like DBT. It's so practical and practicable. So let's dig into what are called distressed tolerance skills and what does that mean. In general, distressed tolerance skills are meant to help us survive crisis. But, and this is a really important point, they need to be practiced before a crisis occurs. Why is this important? Because you feel those emotions very intensely, right? It's like when people tell me that they never argue, but then when something really comes up that is a huge difference between them and they do argue, they don't know how. So these skills are to be used when a crisis cannot be avoided and there's an acceptance of that reality. They talk a lot about pain and distress as being a part of life that cannot be entirely avoided. So tolerance of that distress is necessary because impulsive behavior would interfere. I know that route very well. This is an important sentence. Distress tolerance is the ability to perceive the environment as it is without demanding that it be different. And they have a little graph here as they say, pain plus non-acceptance equals suffering. Pain plus acceptance equals ordinary pain. Let me say that again. Pain plus non-acceptance of that pain leads to suffering. Pain with acceptance of the pain leads to just feeling like it's ordinary and it can be tolerated. If you practice these skills, then when you're in a time of emotional chaos, then these skills are yours to use and they make so much sense. So let's get into the nitty gritty. There are seven different practice skills of distress tolerance. Tolerating it means that you distract yourself somehow. You give yourself some time to feel and to think so that you don't do something that's going to create chaos, which is the theme of this episode. Let's go through them one at a time. You might want to get out your phone to take notes or a tried and true pen and paper because we've got lots of detail coming, okay? Or there is a link that you can actually click on as you listen to this on DBT Tools. And it's called dbt.tools. And I'll have that in your show notes. And you might want to click on that because it would give you a visual of what I'm talking about. Okay? In fact, that's probably the best way to listen to this episode. So again, look for that link that says dbt.tools. So first, there's accept skill. Now, accepts is an acronym or a way of remembering a list of things when you remember the word accepts. These skills are meant to help you distract. Again, it's distraction, distraction, and distraction's a good thing. Not too much of it, but just the right amount. The A is for activities, and this really is talking about do something that will distract you from the moment, that will give you some space 
to think, and to feel. The first C is contributions. And this is about thinking about the things that you could contribute to others to get your mind off of yourself. The second C is for comparison. You want to compare how you feel now to a different time. For example, is this worse, better? So you can gauge how much distress it is. The E stands for emotions. Look for ways to let your emotions out or change the emotional tenor of the moment. Find something funny. Listen to music. Again, you want to think distraction. P is for pushing away. Remember, distraction doesn't get rid of anything, but it gives you some emotional mental space away from whatever it is. The P is literally for imagining a wall between you and your emotional pain. You're pushing away. Think about you on one side of the wall and the distress on the other. T is for thoughts. You want to take yourself to thinking about something, a mental space that's distraction for you. Like I've become a wordle addict. If I were doing the T step, I would take the few minutes it takes to do Wordle, to not think about anything but that. And the S is for sensations. For example, you put ice in your hand, or you stick your face into an icy towel. You change the sensations that you are experiencing. All of those, the accepts skill, is the first of the distress tolerance distraction tools. Here's number two distress tolerance skill. It's called TIP, T-I-P. It's about changing your body chemistry to reduce extreme emotion. There are three ways to do this. One we've already said, tip the temperature. Exercise is number two. Literally, go get some exercise. Change the way your body feels. And paced breathing is number three. You want to slow it down. Or I've heard certain yoga masters say to think of breathing in through one nostril and breathe out through the other. I tried to do that. It's really very interesting. So there are three methods for tip. Tip the temperature, exercise, and pace your breathing. Here's skill number three. Again, these are distress tolerance, learning how to tolerate your hurt or pain or anger or whatever it is. And that third step is self-soothing. Here you think of how you can soothe each one of your five senses. What you see, what you hear, what you smell, what you taste, and what you touch or what touches you. This is also called a grounding technique, and I've used it for someone, many people actually, who are tending to dissociate in therapy. They're sort of leaving the room mentally, and I can see them doing it, and so I have them feel the sofa and their body weight on the chair, smell the air, hear the air conditioning as it goes on and off, or the sound of my voice. I may hand them this stone heart I have because it's usually cool to the touch. You get the picture. So you want to soothe yourself and you're all five of your senses. And this kind of distraction can also be very, very grounding. Skill number four is the improve skill. This is distraction at its best, perhaps, because by choosing to improve the moment somehow, to get connected with more positivity, or to notice how something changes with a more positive mindset, can be helpful. This is not the same as toxic positivity, I want to quickly point out. Toxic positivity means you don't allow yourself to feel or even recognize painful emotions. You deny them because you must remain grateful. This skill, the improved skill, means that you take a moment to be more positive, but you don't obliterate or disallow the painful experience from existing. Here are DBT's suggestions of how to improve the moment you're in so it's easier to tolerate. 
You can improve through imagery, meaning imagining a beautiful or safe place, through meaning or purpose, through prayer, through relaxation, through focusing on one thing that might improve the moment, through being playful or what they call taking a vacation from your adult, and lastly, through self-encouragement. Again, you're trying to say, is there any way that I can be more positive in this moment? In EMDR, we use this improvement through imagery all the time, where before we actually do any EMDR, you help a client build a safe place in their mind. They visualize everything that could possibly make it safe. Who would be there? Where is it? What time of the day would it be? What time of the year would it be? Is it inside, outside? Is anybody with you? Are you alone? You're really building an image of safety and security so that if you get overwhelmed, you can improve the moment by visualizing yourself there. In fact, when I read these improved skills, I remembered a conversation I just had this week with someone whose parent had died fairly recently. They told me that they kept seeing a redbird, a cardinal, everywhere they went practically. And what they told me was that they allowed it to improve their moment and their grief by believing that that cardinal was a message from that parent. You know what I say? Whatever helps, use it. The fifth skill in distress tolerance is what's called the pros-con skill. You want to first to describe the dilemma to yourself. For example, do I go into my boss's office and tell them I can't get a project done in time? There's just no way. And then you look at the pros and cons. What would be the disadvantages or the advantages of such a move? Write them down. You're distracting yourself for sure by slowing things down and thinking before you act. Maybe it would be good for your boss to know you're overwhelmed, but do you want to act impulsively and go into their office with no warning? Or do you want to give them a heads up and say, hey, I'd like to talk to you about something tomorrow morning if that's okay. So you look at all the pros and cons and the very act of slowing yourself down can lead to a better overall decision. Some of you may have heard me say that I believe in a third tier of this decision-making pros, cons kinds of thinking. The third column is to ask yourself how you would cope with the negatives of either decision and do you have the skills to do so or the time or whatever it might take. I think that third tier is really important. Okay, here's number six in the lineup of the distress tolerance skills. Again, remember all of these are about distraction. Not replacement of painful emotions or displacement of them, but distracting yourself so that you can tolerate them better. I don't know why I thought of this analogy, but when we go to football games in the winter, sometimes it's so cold that I'm shivering. So I pack those little hand warmer things. Now, do the hand warmers make all of my body less cold? Not really. But somehow I feel less cold when my hands are warm. It's soothing. I still may choose to leave the game, but I've given myself a little bit of respite. It's something I can do to tolerate my distress. DBT is just doing that mentally and emotionally. Or maybe that whole tip my temperature thing is what the hand warmers are all about. So let's get to the sixth skill. I kind of went off on a tangent. I think it's an interesting one, and I'm going to pare it down a bit for you. It's called problem solving. DBT gives you seven steps, but I think it can be condensed into four. Number one. Identify that something is a problem for you and define it in as much detail as possible. That usually means writing it down and defining the problem. Number two, 
Determine if the problem is really yours or whether you're taking it on as if it were. That's very important. Number three, if it's yours to solve, write down at least three possible solutions. This is to avoid black and white thinking or like there's only one solution, which is hardly ever true. And number four, take action and give yourself a celebratory pat on the back if the problem was solved. Now, if it wasn't, go through these steps again. Again, I think the major point of problem solving this skill is to determine if a problem is really yours to solve. If it doesn't affect your goals, according to DBT, it's not your problem to solve. This is a very objective way to look at this. And I find as a therapist that many of us take on problems as if they were ours when they're not. So this actually goes beyond distraction for me, and I'm not real sure what's included here, but... It's a great skill to have, determining if a problem is truly yours to solve or not. And last is radical acceptance. You stop fighting what is reality and accept it. But I'll say again, acceptance isn't the same as resignation. But acceptance does come first. It's an acceptance as well that pain cannot be avoided. I'm going to include an episode or the link to it, that I did on radical acceptance. And wow, you know what? It's from almost 100 episodes ago. I couldn't believe it when I saw that. So we've definitely covered the what you can do about it today, right? Distress tolerance skills are all about what you can do about it. Let's quickly go over the major seven skills of distress tolerance, which again, they are all about distraction, and I think also acceptance of what is yours to live through in life. First, the acronym ACCEPTS with a letter standing for all the things you can do in the moment to ease your distress or pain. The TIP exercise where you change the temperature of your body. The self-soothe exercise where you soothe all five of your senses, which is a kind of grounding experience. You use improved skills when you use your imagination or visualization or thoughts to make this one moment more livable, like the story about the Cardinal Redbird. The pros and cons step is where you spend some time going through the pros and possible cons of actions you're considering because you're slowing time down. Problem solving is where you spend energy deciding if a problem is truly yours to solve and if it is, writing down the steps to do so. And the last is radical acceptance, realizing that there's no way of living a pain-free existence. All of these steps can help you tolerate, soothe, and calm that pain so that you can bear it. Now you see what I mean when I said that DBT has a lot of content to it because distress tolerance is just one of its four modules. The other three are mindfulness, interpersonal effectiveness, and emotional regulation, and all of them have these very practical, practicable steps to them. Also, for your information, there are specially trained DBT therapists out there They do individual. They're known for being available in a crisis. In fact, that's part of the treatment. They're always available to you. They use groups a lot, and it's a program that takes commitment. If you're interested in hearing more about DBT, let me know. You can email me or send me a voicemail. But here's a great website to learn more. Speak pipe message from DrMargaretRutherford.com. Our listener voicemail for today is from a woman who may be a little hard to understand, so I'll repeat what she said afterward. Hi, how are you? I got a problem here. My husband is telling me that he doesn't have appetite in sex. I don't know what is the problem. 
are no longer doing sex. He told me he have already lost appetite for sex. He does not have feelings for me. We have 16 years in marriage together. So I don't know what is the problem. Here are her words. It sounds as if English might not be her first language, so I have so much respect for her leaving a message. She says, hi, how are you? I've got a problem here. My husband is telling me that he doesn't have an appetite for sex. I don't know what the problem is. We are no longer doing sex because lose appetite. He does not have feelings for me after 16 years of marriage, so I don't know what the problem is. The first thing I want to stress is that it's very likely that your husband not seeking sex from you doesn't have anything to do with you. It's likely depression or some kind of hormonal issue for him. But I sought out the website WebMD to help us with the discussion because it's complex. And there is a link to that in your show notes. The desire for sex, your libido, tends to lessen with age in men. In fact, a 2019 study of more than 12,000 45-year-old men found that about 1 in 20 reported low sexual desire or low libido. So how low is too low? There's not any kind of universally agreed upon definition of low libido, but the key is that it's bothersome, is what Dr. Bajik said. And men often confuse low libido with erectile dysfunction or ED, which is the inability to get or keep an erection. Libido is simply your desire for sex. It can also be lowered in part by your overall physical health, including your genes and hormones, such as testosterone. But it's not all biological. Psychological factors like stress and anxiety also influence your interest in sex, as do physical factors, such as chronic disease like diabetes and heart disease. Those can lower your testosterone levels. These diseases can also lead to erectile dysfunction because they change the blood vessels in your penis, limiting your ability to achieve or maintain an erection. Smoking appears to have a similar effect. Mental health issues also play a part in loss of libido in men, and watching porn definitely does. The problem could be depression, anxiety, or substance abuse, or just too much psychological stress, not enough sleep, medications, One of the doctors said, I see a lot of men who say they're so tired, they're just not interested in sex anymore. So all of these things are things that I want this listener to hear me say don't have anything to do with you. But of course, it's confusing and difficult. And I certainly hope that this information will be helpful. Thank you all so much for being here at Self Work Today. There was a lot of information in this episode, so I hope if you followed along with the link or you got out that tried and true pen and paper that you wrote some of this down, I think DBT is a fascinating therapeutic style and one that many of you might find very, very helpful. You can reach out to me by email, askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com or leave a voicemail on the SpeakPipe app that you can find here in the show notes or on my website at drmargaretrutherford.com. And I'd love for you to subscribe there. You'll get a weekly newsletter. That's it. And it's a very easy way to keep in touch with me. Thank you again. I'm very, very grateful you're here. You each are so important to me. So thank you for the honor of taking your time to listen to self-work. Please, there are a lot of things going on worldwide and certainly here in the United States. So find a time to be kind to others. And if someone offers you kindness, please accept it. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.